Well, for those of us who were here last week, we um, began to dip into the letter to the Romans that's in the New Testament. We dive straight into uh, chapter 7. J.I. Packer, who a, 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 was a great theologian, um, he, calls, he says of Paul's letter to the Romans that it is the high peak of Scripture. And um, in his book on Romans, Andrew Ollerton, do you remember Andrew Ollerton? He wrote the Bible course that we all love so much, and he came to speak to us at Moreland's once, an amazing communicator. Um, he's written a book on Romans, and I recommend it to you. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, and he says this, It has been said that if the New Testament were the Himalayas, Romans would be Mount Everest, and chapter 8 would be the summit. Not pressure then, really, is there, to, to open God's Word this morning. Um, but it's an exciting chapter, a brilliant chapter. I, I've read two or three commentaries during the week, and everyone has said, learn it off by heart, commit it to memory. Um, Ruth would be good at that, wouldn't you, Ruth? You already have. Oh, there's a challenge for us all. <laughs> well, up to this point that we've got to, um, Paul's been unraveling, he's been exploring the amazing event that happened about 30 years before he wrote this. That is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's been exploring God's plan for, of salvation for all people. Paul's writing mainly to Gentiles, to a group of Christians in Rome. And he has in chapter 7, that we were looking at last week, become incredibly vulnerable. Not particularly like Paul. Every now and again, he, he becomes incredibly vulnerable. And here, he's chosen to speak very personally about his wrestle with sin. Despite understanding that Jesus, um, that Jesus' death and re resurrection has made us alive in Christ and has dealt with our sin, despite knowing that he, we have peace with God and a hope for the future, Paul knows all of that, he still faces this, this dilemma, this wrestle, this struggle that we were thinking about last week. The things I want to do, I do not do. And I hate what I do, Paul says. The desire to do good is there. I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the evil that I don't want to do. That I keep doing. He was in this doo-doo problem, we called it, didn't we? Whilst Paul here, he's speaking openly, honestly, about how hard he finds it to, um, to be like Jesus. The Jesus that he's chosen to follow. This wrestle that goes on within him, in him. And wow, wasn't it helpful last week? Because isn't that something we can all identify with? or well, some of us maybe, anyway, that conundrum that he faces. We want to please God. We want to live to honor him. We want to flee from the sinful desires that are there, but we just keep failing. We just can't do it. And like Paul, we cry out, what a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me? Paul declares the only answer is found in Jesus, doesn't he? And in chapter 8, he begins to expound this whole thinking, this incredible depths of the reality of what Jesus' death and resurrection has achieved for us to believe. No wonder it's classed as the summit of all the mountains. And it brings us to this therefore that we begin chapter 8 with. We're going to look at three different therefores now. This is the first one um, over the next few weeks. And each one of these therefores has something that if we're willing to listen and grasp hold of it, can change and transform us um, because of the truth that's hidden within the, the, the therefore that Paul says. Therefore, says Paul, in the light of the truth of the gospel that we know, and also therefore, in the light of the struggle we have to live it out, we need to get hold of this, says Paul. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
That's verse 1. Why? Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul wants gradually, I can't stop at verse 1. We have to do all of the verses because he gradually unfolds and unpicks what he means for us through these verses. So I'm going to start by reading just the first four verses Um, of chapter 8 of Romans. If you've got a Bible, it's worth having it open because there's lots in here for us to get hold of. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So firstly, now, that's a really important word. Now there is no condemnation in Christ If we go back a bit in Romans, we find in chapter 3 that Paul says, all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. What a problem we have. You know, just as when we break the law of our country, we expect to get punished. So when we break God's perfect law, because we are not perfect, we are due punishment. It makes sense. And in our honest moments, we would agree with that, wouldn't we? That if we do something wrong, a punishment is incurred. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, I think we've probably grasped that Jesus has taken that punishment that was ours. That we can say that when Jesus died on the cross, he took our punishment. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put on him. By his wounds, we are healed. So when we look to the cross, we see Jesus there, the perfect son of God, being condemned, taking the punishment in my place. Beautiful old hymn, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. In my place, in my place, condemned he stood. So to be condemned is a a legal term, and it means declaring guilty and sentenced to be punished. The condemnation that should be ours has been put on Jesus. He was the innocent one, and he was declared guilty. He was sentenced to death. And instead, we're the ones who've been declared innocent, declared not guilty, and we've been told we're free to go. We don't need to face punishment. So now, Paul, I think really importantly, has this word in here. Now, from this moment on, there's no condemnation. And when he says now, he means now, never again. Never again. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul doesn't mean that at the moment of your conversion, Jesus declared you innocent and your debt was cancelled. He does mean that. But he doesn't mean, but as time goes by and you let God down and you live selfishly, maybe unkind to someone, that you're now guilty again and that you're under condemnation. Paul is not saying that. That now means 
now, forever. You can't slip out of the condemnation and be back under condemnation. It's a no forever. Recently, um, somebody very kindly left us a present here at CBC. Um, they put through the window in the men's toilet, which is very high up, they put a dead fish. So on Sunday morning, a few weeks ago, when we came in, there was a really nice smell. We couldn't find the source of the smell. We tried everywhere, and we couldn't find it. But we bleached the toilets, and we cleaned them, and we spread, um, sprayed copious amounts of air freshener around to try and cover up the smell. Um, we eliminated it maybe for two minutes, I think, um, and back it came. The only way we could get rid of the smell of the dead fish was, of course, by dealing with the root of the problem. And thankfully, our caretaker, Mark, worked out the root of the problem, and we got rid of it, sadly, two days later. But anyway, um, it was a nasty smell. But the, the point is that the root of the problem needed to be dealt with. And, and I, I want to say this morning that the cross is not some inefficient air freshener that God kind of sprays over us to kind of deal with our sin, but it eventually, the problem, and it, and it eventually wears off. That the no condemnation won't wear off. It's forever. It, the, the problem, the sin, has been dealt with. Jesus has dealt with the root of the problem, and that verdict cannot be overturned. It can't be reversed. That's worth a hallelujah, isn't it? The declaration of no condemnation over us if we are in Christ is irrevocable. It's irreversible. It's final. Nothing you can do when you are in Christ can change that status that God speaks over you, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But let's be real about this. Sadly, we catch ourselves living under our old status, don't we? Or is that just me? And we do this in different ways. So we start to maybe live as if God's not really pleased with us, and we better sort of live to please him. We might live as if, well, I'm not really good enough and I need to try harder. We might doubt, maybe, that God really loves us. We might put on a mask to hide from God. We might fear that we might mess up and we might let God down. But Paul says into all of that, all of those doubts, all of that creeping back into the old status, is don't forget that when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're now hidden in Christ. You're declared righteous, and you're no longer under condemnation. That's amazing, isn't it? That status cannot be changed, even when we might mess up, even when we might go back and do our do-do problems. But it's not one day in the future, and it's not just then, in that moment when you received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's now. <laughs> I think we should underline it in our Bibles. Now there is no condemnation. In, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the second, um, the second point I want to, is another now, because now not only are we no longer under condemnation, we are now set free in Christ. And that's in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus' death on the cross has declared us not guilty, not condemned. They're legal terms that we are now free free from condemnation, free from the law. Now, what Paul is using the word law here, he's talking about and referring to a, a governing, controlling power in our lives, if you like, the law that makes us do what we do, that controlling power. And of course, before we were in Christ, we, were, we had sin in us. We were indwelt with sin. 
And that resulted in sinful thoughts, sinful desires, selfish behaviors and attitudes, because our guide for life was this power, this law, that was not of God. But now, now we are given, we are indwelt with a new law, a new power, if you like, a new force, the law of the Spirit who gives us life. Amazing that we have this new power within us, our freedom from the power of sin. So verse 1 tells us about our legal status, no longer under condemnation. You're going to hear this a lot through the next few minutes. Verse 2 tells us of our freedom from the power of sin. Then Paul goes on to unpack what this means for us. The law was given to enable God's people to live holy lives, but we, we heard last week about this, didn't we? It could be no more than a mirror that was, was put up before us and pointed out that we could never live up to those laws. Those laws were for there for us to keep, but what we find is that we keep failing, we keep um, disobeying them. That's our sinful flesh that Paul calls it. It's flesh. Um, because of our, our, our flesh, we can't um, please God. Now, flesh here, you're probably thinking physical bodies. That's not what Paul is saying here. When he talks about flesh, he's talking about our regenerate, our sinful nature. That part of our nature that rejects God, that resists God's rule, that, that, uh, that part of us that's opposed to God. And in that state, without Christ, we couldn't live up to his own holy standard. It, however hard we tried, and man, many of us have tried and tried and found that we can't. The law, however, however strong it was, it couldn't save us. It was powerful. And then these wonderful two words that come um, in, in verse 3, what the law was powerless to do, God did. God did. What the law couldn't do, God did. So we've been set free, not because of anything we've achieved, but because of what God did, what God has done. He gave a solution to this problem that we faced. Our efforts are, we, are and always will be futile. But God's love was so great for us that he sent his son to die, made, as Paul says, in the likeness of hum human flesh, but Jesus, without sin, became sin for us. We're not, we're not condemned because Jesus has taken our condemnation and we're now free because Jesus has given us his life through his spirit. Notice um, in those verses that we read in verse 4 that the law is not abolished. In fact, Jesus says, doesn't he, that he comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of the law's requirements. They've all been met in Christ. And because we are in Christ, God considers that all the law requirements have been met by us too. Get your head around that. So we're also declared righteous now as well, if we live according to the Spirit. The word that um, we might use is justified. We have been justified um, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says in Romans 3. So we have um, now no condemnation. Now we're free from sin. And now, thirdly, we have uh, new thinking in Christ. So back to our problem. Paul is building his argument to this problem that Paul has faced. Why do I keep on doing what I don't want to do? Why do I keep not doing what um, is right, that I know is right, but I can't do it. Well, it's partly in our behavior, I think, because we haven't grasped the new status that we have. We haven't grasped that we're free from condemnation and, and we have the Spirit living in us. I think partly because we haven't understood that sin is no longer our landlord, if you like. 
We're free, but we still live as if he's calling the shots as our landlord. But the truth is, Paul says, we have a new landlord now. We're living under a different authority, the authority of the Spirit. So Paul says this verdict that we have of no condemnation means that we've been freed from that controlling power of sin, that law, and we now have the new life in the Spirit. This freedom is ours. We've been set free from sin. You might say, I guess, that that's all very well, Kay. I hear what you're saying, but I still struggle. It's still really hard to live as God wants me to live. And that's why I think we, we can't just stop at verse 1 because Paul builds up this argument of, of what we have that enables us to deal with the struggle that we all face. So um, I'm going to read some verses now from verse 5. So Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. I think there's more to help us here, isn't there? The flesh, our sinful nature, is a problem. We all admit that in our honest moments. Paul says that those who live according to the flesh, according to the sinful nature, have their minds set on what the flesh wants. So if the mind dwells on and thinks about um, and prefers things that are contrary to God, Paul says those things will lead to death if that's how we choose to set our mind. It will, choose, it'll, it'll set us in a, in a way of hostility towards God. And we won't be able to please God if, we have that, if that nature is what um, determines how we think. Our minds are powerful things, aren't they? Our minds are powerful things. And it's said, and I think this is true, our lives follow the direction of our strongest thoughts. Do you agree with that? Have a think about that for a minute. Our lives follow the direction of our strongest thoughts. So what we think about is what dominates our lives. So I wonder what dominates your thoughts when you wake up in the morning. Don't answer that out loud. But I wonder what it is. I wonder if your thoughts are positive or negative, worrying or peaceful. I wonder what dominates your thoughts. Well, Paul says here, when we have the Spirit, when we're in Christ and we have the Spirit in us, we have a new way of thinking. I think this is so important. I think this unlocks the problem of our wrestles and our struggles. I really do. If we allow, we need to allow the Spirit of Christ to govern. We need the, the Spirit of Christ to take control. We need to allow the Spirit of Christ to renew our minds. There's the key. That's the key. We need to choose to think about. We need to prefer. We need to dwell on. We need to set our minds on what the Spirit wants. Because a mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. What a difference to death and hostility towards God. Because whatever controls your mind will control your life. I really believe this is a choice that we have to make. We have to make a choice, choose. So when guilt, maybe a sense of unworthiness, 
and we feel trapped in cycles of failure. Isn't this great news? Isn't this good news? If the Spirit of God lives in us, then we can choose in our minds to think of the things of God. We can choose to remember this verse that I've said it again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can have these things in our mind. Set our minds on things above. Set our minds on the things of the Spirit. If the life we now have in Christ is given by the Spirit, we now live according to the Spirit. Our old nature has been put to death. If it's been put to death, then it has no voice. It has no voice, or it certainly has no right to have a voice in your life. It has no right to have any control over us, because we've died. We've died to that with Christ, and we surrender to his lordship. Paul puts it beautifully, doesn't he? We no longer live. Christ now lives in us. There's another of Paul's um, really helpful verses. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, take, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Wow. That's going to take some discipline, isn't it? But what a choice to make daily, that every thought that comes into my mind, I'm going to choose to capture that and take it for Christ. I wonder what unhelpful, dominating thoughts you might have that you need to capture and, and take captive and, and submit it to, to God, to the Holy Spirit in your mind. I wonder if there's areas in your mind that you need to choose to fill your mind instead with the promises and the truths of Scripture. Because the, the opposite is lies and empty rhetoric that we get fed from the world, isn't it? So when you're really struggling, perhaps when you're tempted to dive for the chocolate or the wine or the Netflix or to do some online shopping to dull the worry of what's going on in your head or to escape the challenges that are you're facing this week, why not choose to allow your mind to be governed by the Spirit? Why not turn to God's Word and fill your mind with wholesome things? It's a choice. It's a choice that we can make. I, um, I was with Pam, Pam Narain, uh, this uh, last week, and uh, she was talking about when she worries she puts her hand in her pocket, and in her pocket she has lots of little bits of paper with verses on. And she'll pull a verse out, and she'll read it to fill her mind with the things of God. What a beautiful idea. Take it up. It's a free one from Pam. Take it up. Go home. Write down some of the promises of God's Word on bits of paper. Stick them around your house. Put them in your pocket, on your car um, dashboard, whatever to fill our minds. Let's choose to fill our minds with the things of God because that's how we'll deal with the wrestle. That's how we'll deal with the struggle. I'm not going to expand this one, but on another now that we have in these verses is our hope in Christ. And I'm just going to read them to you. Let these words settle in your, in your mind. There you go. But if Christ is, is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, gosh, that's something to put on a piece of paper, isn't it? Let that settle in your mind, that it, the spirit of Christ who raised, who raised Christ from the dead is living in you if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Sorry, I've got to start that one again, haven't I? And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Wow, 
now, right now, we live in a hope for the future, that this wrestle that we have, this wrestle with the flesh will one day be over because God one day is going to give life even to our failing mortal bodies when we see him and when we're with him forever. So if you're in Christ this morning, the battle with sin is real. It exists. It's not going away. We live in a fallen world. But in Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we know that one day this battle will be truly over. So now today in Christ, you have, we have no condemnation. We have freedom. We have life in the spirit and we have hope. Wow. How encouraging. To finish, I just want to go back to verse 1. I want to read it again, but I want us to think about what Paul is saying. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is Paul saying, there is therefore now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus? No, he's not saying that. Is he saying, there is therefore now no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus? No, he's not saying that. Is he saying there is therefore now no stumbling for those who are in Christ Jesus? No, he's not saying that. He's saying now there is no condemnation for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Because we may stumble, we may fall, we do trip up, don't we? We do let God down, we do make mistakes, we do sin. But if we're in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, there is now no condemnation. Because God has said it is so. God has said it. And you just need to look to the cross to see how he achieved that truth for you and for me. So you can struggle. We will struggle. But we're not condemned. We might fall but we're not condemned. We might trip, but we're not condemned because God said he will not condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. So in your problems this week, there's no condemnation. In your struggles, there's no condemnation. In your failure, there is no condemnation. What an amazing, loving, gracious God we have. So, I think here's the challenge. Choose. Choose what we fill our minds with because we have the life of the Spirit in us. And then we don't have to live in defeat anymore. We don't have to be constantly struggling and wrestling. We will struggle, we will wrestle, but not in defeat, in victory, because we know we are in Christ and He in us. Because the law of the Spirit of life of Jesus Christ has set you Amen. Amen. Invite the, um, the band to come up. And maybe we'll just take this opportunity as they come up to just, you might want to close your eyes. You might just want to say to yourself your name in there. Now, K, there is no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. You might just want to put your name, make it personal, as Andrew is going to lead us in a song of worship.